said, my name's David Lyons. I'm one of the members of staff uh, here at St. Mungo's. Uh, and it's a great privilege to be able to, uh, to come and share with you this morning as we open uh, God's Word together, as we look at the first of these uh, last seven uh, sayings of Jesus on the cross. Uh, the words that are going to be very familiar uh, to you. And my prayer is that as we, as we look at it this morning, um, that we might encounter the Father in a deep and powerful way. The true horror of the crucifixion is impossible for us to fully comprehend. The true horror of the crucifixion is unfathomable for our Western minds because we have nothing that remotely resembles it. We've heard about it, we've read about it, we've seen images, we've seen reenactments in films and movies. But we don't really have a place of reference for it in our consciousness and experience. And I think sometimes we've heard about it so much that we come almost numb to it. The open wounds where his flesh had been ripped from his body. The nails driven through his wrists and feet. The raising up of the cross into position for all to see. Blood pouring down his face where a crown of thorns had been pressed into position. Capital punishment continued into the 1900s here in the UK, but public executions were stopped in 1868, deemed too inhumane, no longer a deterrent. Our society's changed significantly in the last 130 years, and the thought and concept of watching somebody brutally murdered as a form of entertainment is reserved for movies, TV shows, games. Reserved for a place where we're so far removed from it that we can avert our eyes if it becomes too much. We've no idea of the horror of the crucifixion, what it smelt like, what it sounded like. Perhaps more strikingly, the sheer normality of it. The normality of walking through the town to see a naked man on a cross, struggling in agony as he raises himself up just to gulp in another breath of air as we head into town to buy our groceries. As we listen to the news and we see images of the horrific violence in the Ukraine, we get a glimpse of some of the horror, but nothing compares to the brutality of the crucifixion, as difficult as that is to imagine. Jesus endured the cross after being beaten so severely he collapsed as he was forced to carry the crossbeam of his cross through the streets with the splintered wood penetrating the open wounds on his back. Jesus endured being nailed to the cross after being stripped naked and whipped with leather straps embedded with shards of glass and metal designed to tear the flesh from his back. Jesus endured the cross after being mocked, ridiculed, spat on, verbally assaulted by the baying mob. Our last series, our series on the last words of Jesus begins at the moment when the final nail has been hammered through his feet and the cross is raised up. Jesus hangs there, silent. Then his dry, blooded lips slowly begin to move. And he chokes the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' public ministry opened with prayer, and now as it closes, it does so in prayer 
No amount of pain, of ridicule, of hatred, betrayal, separation, abandonment, no nothing could silence Jesus' petitions to the Father. Whatever else you take from this morning, take this. No matter the circumstances that you face at the moment, let nothing stop you crying out in prayer and petition to the Father. Prayer is a ministry to which we're all called and we're all equipped. Charles Spurgeon writes, Let us continue in prayer as long as our heart beats. Let no excess suffering drive us from the throne of grace, but rather let it drive us closer to it. Prayer is a ministry to which we're all called and to which we're all equipped. And on the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At no other stage in Jesus' ministry do we read of Jesus making this request to the Father. Jesus himself was the one who forgave people's sins. Think about the the sinful woman when uh, she anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Or the paralyzed man in Matthew 9, Jesus says to him, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Here something different happens. Jesus petitioned the Father to ask him to forgive the sins of those who had placed him on the cross. Why? The teachers of the law in Mark's gospel are right when they said, who can forgive but God alone? Forgiveness of sins is a divine privilege. And yet here Jesus doesn't forgive sins, but instead petitions to the Father that he might forgive them. What's changed? Well, in order to offer himself as a sacrifice, a substitute in the place of humanity and pay the debt of our sin, Jesus hung on the cross in his humanity. Humanity had sinned, and so humanity was required. As Jesus hangs on the cross, he does so as our substitute. He hangs there in his humanity and he cries, Father, forgive them. He forewent his divine privileges because he's there in our place. He's laid aside his divine authority to act as our sacrifice. The Son of Man had been raised up and therefore he cries out to his Father. And in doing this, Jesus not only gave us an example to follow, but fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah 53, which tells of the suffering the Messiah will face. It says, he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The example that Jesus calls us to, his followers, is to do the same, that we must forgive. Jesus was in the process of being murdered at the moment. He cries out for forgiveness for the ones who'd placed him there. Outrageous love. Jesus identifies with our suffering, our rejection, our betrayal, our pain, our heartache, and shows that even in the midst of our deepest sorrow, our deepest heartache, our deepest pain, we must choose to forgive those who have put us there. There's a couple of key pieces of teaching on forgiveness from Jesus that I want to just take a few moments to look at. When addressing the crowds who'd gathered to hear him teach at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to them, You heard the law which says, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. On the cross, Jesus lived this out. He prayed to the Father for those who'd put him there only moments before. Surely the very definition of those who persecute you. 
Jesus teaches that we're to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And what great love Jesus shows to those who've nailed him to the cross by praying for their forgiveness. Not long after his teaching here, uh, Jesus teaches the disciples. They say, teach us how to pray. And as part of that, Jesus said, we're to pray, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. See, the sobering reality is that we'll need to seek regular forgiveness from the Father. It's not possible this side of heaven to live a sinless life and we continually will sin against God and against others and therefore be in continual need of the Father's forgiveness to come all that we've been created for, to love God and to love our neighbor. The words after this in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, forgiveness is not an emotion or a feeling, but it's a choice. And Jesus is not saying that some sort of conditional exchange takes place here. He's saying that we can't receive that continual forgiveness on offer from the Father. We can't walk in all of the freedom that the Father wants for us if we continue to hold on to bitterness and resentment and we hold grudges in our heart. And he goes on to explain this very clearly through the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus tells the story of a king who forgives the debt of one of his servants, a servant who owed him millions and millions of pounds. In fact, it's a debt so large, it's almost impossible to put into numbers. Shortly after the king waived his debt, the servant goes to find uh, one of his fellow servants who owed him a small amount of money, and he demands payment. And when he cannot pay, the servant says, you will go into jail. He puts him into jail until you can pay that debt. Being forgiven of the great debt that he had, had had no impact whatsoever on the servant. The king hears about it and summons it to him. He says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. And Jesus finishes the parable by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Yes, Jesus was interceding for the people that had physically just put him there. But Jesus was hanging there in our place as our substitute. On the cross, when Jesus prayed for the Father to forgive them, he was referring to us. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus was our substitute. And we need to remember the great debt which we've been forgiven. The gift on offer to us is free to receive. But it came at a significant cost. Nash writes, Jesus did not forgive with mere words. He forgave on the cross. You see, we're bound for eternal separation from God. No hope of reconciliation, no hope of paying the debt which we owed. We're stuck in the miry pit, no way out, until God, in his great mercy, stepped into the world he created, 
in the person of Jesus. And having lived the perfect life, gave himself as a substitute. Took the punishment which was ours to bear and died on the cross in our place. We've been forgiven a great debt. One that we could never have paid. And so in response to that, secure in the knowledge that we are beloved children of God, we're called to forgive others. Forgiveness is not an emotion or a feeling. It's a choice for us to make. On the cross, bloodied, beaten, gasping for air, a voice comes from Jesus' pallid lips, showing us the lengths to which we are to go in our forgiveness of others. Father, forgive them. But how can we? I read a book this week which Ollie had lent me called The Lost Art of Forgiving. And when Ollie passed it over to me, he said, you might want to read this with a box of tissues nearby. And he wasn't wrong incredibly powerful and incredibly challenging book. It contains story after story of people who, with God's strength, have chosen to forgive. People who would be perfectly and rightly justified in harboring feelings of resentment, of hatred, of bitterness, of retribution, but instead have chosen a path of forgiveness. Some forgave those who were repentant. Some forgave those who were not. Some forgave those who knew what they'd done. And some forgive those who knew not. But the important thing I noticed in all of these, and I believe it's important for us this morning, is the act of forgiveness is always initiated by the one who has been wronged. And more often than not, it happens as part of a process. Forgiveness is initiated by the victim of some terrible injustice, by the one who's had their heart shattered by betrayal, by the one who's had their innocence Violated the one who's had their body broken. A person may ask for forgiveness, but they cannot demand it. Forgiveness is a choice. A choice made and a gift offered. It's a gift offered by those who know the great debt that they have been forgiven. And so held tightly and securely in the loving arms of the Father. Empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. Choose to extend forgiveness to others. Martin Luther King Jr. says, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst for creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start. That fresh start may involve a person who's been forgiven, Or it may be a fresh start without them. But the weight, the bitterness, the restlessness, the torment which comes from holding on to unforgiveness is gone. The Greek word for forgive is aphiemi. It's made up from apo, a prefix which means separation, putting some distance between, and hyemi, which means in motion, to put in motion. Aphiemi means to send away from oneself, to hurl away. It refers to a total detachment, total separation from a previous location or condition. A simple definition might be, it means to let go. Jesus says we're to love our enemies and to bless those who persecute us. 
When we forgive, we let go. When we bless, it means that our part of forgiveness has happened. You see, the opposite of that is to hold a grudge. So when we bless, this is a kind of forgiveness. We don't need to wait until the person asks for forgiveness. They may never do it. Instead, we're to follow the example of Christ on the cross, who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus forgave us before we even realized we had anything that we needed to seek forgiveness for. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Peter writes powerfully about Christ's example of forgiveness on the cross. In 1 Peter 2 verse 23, he gives us also some hope to hold on to as we do the same. Peter writes, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When we bless those who persecute us, when we forgive, we let go and entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. What about when we need to seek forgiveness from someone else? Asking for forgiveness is a very vulnerable thing to do, namely because, as I mentioned earlier, the decision about whether you're forgiven by a person you've wronged doesn't lie with you. All you can do is ask and wait for the response. You can't force that decision. All you can do is show that you're repentant. Commit to showing and living out that repentance through your actions. Give time, give space. Walk in humility, seek wise counsel, get support. Let them see you back up your words with action. Commit to long-term change. But the words of Jesus on the cross give those of us who are seeking forgiveness a great hope. Because they remind us that no matter what we've done, that we can always come before God's throne of grace to receive forgiveness. You can draw near to the Father with confidence knowing that Jesus pleads for those who reject and mocked and murdered him, then surely he will plead for those who love him. This morning, come to the throne of God's grace and receive forgiveness. Our forgiveness was enormously expensive. It cost Jesus his life, and he did so out of his great love for us. As Jesus' blood was spilt on the cross and he prayed, to the Father, Jesus took upon himself the punishment which we deserve, the sentence which was ours. Because of our sin, he opened up a route back to eternal relationship for us with the Father. You see, it's only through Jesus we have the forgiveness of sin. We owe him everything. Humanity did its worst. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. We've done our worst, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. If you know that you need to ask forgiveness, you no longer need to live shackled to the past or live in fear of being found out. God already knows, and Jesus is already advocating to the Father on our behalf, saying, Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is available this morning through Jesus. Receive it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move 
into time of ministry. I've left plenty of time for that this morning. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness, for the mercy and grace which you've offered to us. When we'd done nothing to deserve it, you went to the cross in our place. You took upon yourself the punishment which was ours in order that we might be forgiven. Thank you, there is nothing which prevents us from falling on your throne of grace this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, remove any feelings of fear, of shame, of guilt, or inadequacy that might prevent us from receiving your forgiveness afresh this morning. Father, help those of us who are carrying the pain, the hurt, the heartbreak caused by others. In our own strength, we cannot forgive. But with you, all things are possible. Come and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come and strengthen us. Come and hold us in your arms. Give us the courage to follow your example on the cross. Where whilst they hammered nails through your broken body, you forgave them. Whilst they mocked you, you forgave them. Whilst they had no idea of what they were doing, you forgave them. Come, Holy Spirit, give our hearts the courage and the resolve to bless those who've caused this pain. Come and release the burdens which we carry. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. If you've been joining us on the live stream this morning, we pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and bring you peace. Have a wonderful day.